All right, if you would take your Bibles or a device on which your Bible rests, uh, we're getting in back into Colossians today. Uh, I noticed last week, maybe you didn't, and so maybe I shouldn't bring it up, I called Colossians Corinthians a couple of times, so I'm going to work hard not to do that anymore. Uh, but we're actually going to get in Corinthians as well. So when I say that, it hopefully is not a mistake at that point. So let's, let's pray as we get into the scriptures today. Our Father, we, we love the fact that you left us such a full volume, 66 books that communicate your heart, uh, communicate your mind. We thank you that we have the mind of Yahweh and impart in the scriptures. And we also thank you, Father, for giving us the spirit, your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to help us understand and to help us integrate and to help us obey. And so we pray now uh, as we talk, as we study, as we consider that spirit, you would be teaching us from the scriptures, especially how to walk in the way of Jesus through Colossians. Help us, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're starting a new kind of mini-series within this series. We're going to be going over the next three Sundays, including today, over this prayer that we've been reading to you every Sunday after the gathering. It's, a, it's a, at the end of the gathering. It's a prayer of blessing. It's the prayer that Paul and Epaphras and Timothy prayed together, probably daily and regularly, for the many churches that God had established throughout Asia Minor. <clears throat> we're going to go through this prayer slowly. Uh, in three different steps and take a really good look at it. So today is the first Sunday of that. And the prayer is found in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. So today we're in verses 9 and 10a, or the first half of 10. So let's read that passage. Paul writes, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. That was short enough. I think I could read it again. So let's look at it again, and then we'll begin to unpack it. And so, from the day we heard, and there he's referring to heard about your love, heard about the fact that you believe the gospel, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Paul loves to use a lot of words. And that's a good thing for us because he gives us so much understanding and description in those many words. Paul has one simple thing to say. He's saying, I'm praying that you may know so that you may do. And that's really the only, that's the, the center of the prayer. Those are the two verbs in this prayer. We pray that you may know so that you may walk. Really a simple phrase, but he wants to give it motivation. He wants to give it purpose, and he wants to share the outcome of the reality of doing that. And that's what all the other words here are for. And that's what we want to look at today. So the first thing uh, he's saying is, I want you to know the will of God. So Paul was writing, remember, to a church that was quite new in the faith, maybe only 10 years, maybe 20 years. He's writing to people who had never heard of Christ, Jesus Christ, before. And so we hear those words, and I don't know about you, but the first thing I thought of was actually, I want to know specifically kind of God's will in the details of my life. That's what I think of when I hear knowing God's will, which is true. 
but I believe fairly confidently that Paul was actually speaking on a very basic and large-scale kind of universal level. These were people who were new to the ideas of Jesus Christ and Yahweh. These were Greeks. They, many of them were not Jews, and so they were new to this whole idea. So Paul is referring here primarily to kind of the big picture will of God for everyone. So we need to keep that in mind as we think about this. So Paul is saying that I'm praying for you there in Colossae, you believers in Jesus, that you might know the grand and universal will of God. What kind of wills would people have known at this point? They would have known the will of people who were in authority in their lives. So if you were a part of the Roman Empire, which most of these folks were, you would know the will of Rome. You would know the laws and what you were to do, and everyone would be aware of that. If you were a child or a slave or an employee, you would know the will of your boss or your parent or your master. That was a will that you paid attention to. And then, of course, we're all familiar with our own will. We know what we want. So Paul is introducing a whole new idea here with the will of God. This is not the will of a human. It's not the will of any horizontal relationship in your life, but it's the will of Almighty God spoken through Jesus Christ, so a new thing. And so Paul is saying, that's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would know the will of God, what the creator has set out as design and purpose for all of humanity. That's the will that he wants you to know. But the question obviously comes then, what is the will of God? So I'm going to ask all of you at home on Zoom, I need you to really pay attention here and help us out. What would you say are some of the pieces of the universal will of God? And I just want you to put those in the chat so you don't need to unmike, but I want to hear from you. And I'll ask you guys out there if you want to pull your mask off and just throw out a phrase or a word. But when we say know the will of God, what do you think Paul has in mind? The universal will of God for believers. Tony has said reconciliation with mankind, that God's will is that he, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is in an open, right, healthy relationship with people. That's a part of the will of God. What else? Yeah, say a little bit more about that. To bring peace where? To who? Yeah, really to every relationship, right, Keith? Yeah, no matter, wherever there's a relationship, God wants to bring peace into it, absolutely. Yeah, and the, uh, the Hebrew word for that is shalom, and that's what this book study is all gonna be all about. What else? I see here, Eddie and Laura are saying, the will of God is compassion for each other. John Darrow is to fight for the powerless. All of these are true. This is absolutely the will of God. The will of God is essentially, well, it, Jesus said it best. He said, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. And this, uh, to me, seems a little bit contrary. I grew up in a very conservative church with a wonderful biblical foundation, but somehow in my mind, um, the will of God didn't seem like the good news that I've come to know that it is. And it, doesn't, it didn't seem like the amazing story that it is. Somehow, I didn't quite follow very well, but in my later life, I've come to understand, really, the will of God is whatever human is wired for inside. So whatever you dream about, whatever you imagine, whatever you see out there that's broken, and then you think about what would it look like for that to be better, that's probably the will of God. If you're thinking well as a human and as a follower of Jesus, it's just all really, really good news. 
God wants every human that's ever been created, which is all of them, to experience the fullest life they can possibly live. And he's deeply interested in that, not just on an individual level, but he's asking all of humanity to take care of all of humanity and to that together. This is the will of God. Steve and Cheryl Lample say to love one another. Absolutely, all of this is completely true. This is the will of God. So Paul is saying, I want you to know all that. I want you to know all of that. And I want it to really dominate kind of the will that you live for. We have individual wills that we live for, and that's fine as long as it's congruent with the will of God. People around us have wills. Our bosses have a will for us. Our spouse has a will for us. And again, as long as they're congruent with the will of God, it's all good. But the will that leads our lives as believers is this will of God, and it's the goodness of God and of all humanity. Now, Paul goes on to say this. He says, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul is looking for a different source for us when it comes to what is good, what is right, and what is his will. We, because we're created in the image of God, we already have some ideas of what the will of God might be. We just kind of know generally there's a universal goodness that most people know about. We all have this tendency within us when it comes to children to be protective, to be kind, to be helpful, to look out for all children, not just our own children. It's just a part of the goodness of God. But God is seeking, Paul is praying for something way behind that. He's praying that we might truly know through the Holy Spirit the unique will of God, the specific will of God in all things. Let me read for you from 1 Corinthians 2 uh, to get a little bit more of an idea of this. So be patient with me while I go to my virtual Bible here. And I'm turning to... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you can go there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 6. All right, let's listen together. Here is the wisdom of God and spiritual wisdom. Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, and one of the things I want you to note here is that Paul has really said the same things to all the churches. He's packaged them kind of in a custom way for each church as he knows their needs, but the themes are very consistent, and here he's looking for the same spiritual wisdom for the Corinthians. He says, we, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, that is, the spiritually mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. So it's not a political wisdom. It's not an economical wisdom. It's not human reason. It's something else. These others are coming to nothing, but we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus. So this is a different wisdom. It's not human. It's not just the wisdom of reason. So let's keep going. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. <clears throat> Verse 10. 
The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Notice what he's saying here. He's saying the Holy Spirit is God's spirit, and God's spirit knows God's mind and knows God's thoughts. So we have a source that taps us into the thoughts and the ways of God. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, not general reason and knowledge, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject merely to human judgment, for who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That last phrase is the key that I'm after. The wisdom that Paul is praying for is an access to the very mind of Jesus Christ. So if you think about the Gospels, those four books that tell us the life of the story of Jesus and the way that he thought, did he think in a way that seemed common to people or did he tend to seem to think in ways that were contrary or unique or different? They were always kind of unique and different and unexpected. Even the religious leaders who knew the scriptures well, and that's where the mind of Yahweh was supposed to reside, was in the Old Testament. They knew those scriptures well. They memorized them. They wrote them down, and they believed they knew the mind of God. And yet, who in Jesus' life seemed to have the most contrary mind to Jesus? It was those same religious leaders. He was constantly having to correct them. You've heard it said this, but that's not it. I say to you, it's this. And he was always confronting who they were. And so they did not have the mind of Christ. But now, and this is the good news of the new covenant with Jesus, we actually have access to the mind of Christ, to the way he thinks. And what is that access? What's our access to the mind of Christ? Sorry? Yes, the Holy Spirit. I heard it because of the other story. Yeah. yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Thanks for speaking out. We have the mind of Christ. How do we tap into that mind? What is our access to the mind of Christ? How do you tap into it? Yeah, that's just a one-word answer, right? Prayer. <laughs> exactly. And that's Paul's whole point. Prayer. Yeah. This passage that we're going through to me is like so many things that are profoundly amazing and powerful and yet in the words themselves they're so simple and so we have to ask you know God help me understand the fullness of this because I'm not sure I understand it it almost seems too easy what is the purpose of the knowledge of the mind of Christ Paul goes on to write so that you may walk in a manner worthy I want you to catch this for sure today, and we, we say this all the time, but I want to say it again. The scriptures were given to us primarily to teach us how to live, not to teach us what to know, and not to teach us how to debate, but the scriptures and the Holy Spirit are given to us to live a certain way. And I have to say, in my own life, I've experienced a ton of study and not a ton of walking in obedience 
but I'm thankful that we are not there now, and I'm especially thankful for a young generation that I've been watching who is very committed to this idea of living faithfully to the scriptures. I think there was even a time when we were so voraciously going after Bible study and tremendous amounts of scripture, and we were taking in so, com so much content, I, I at least felt like I can't keep up. I know so much, I've heard so much of scripture, but my life doesn't keep up. And I almost kind of dropped my guard down thinking, yeah, there's no way I can live up to this. But that wasn't Paul's mind at all. Paul believed that people could live up to all the things that Jesus has called us to. And I, I believe that we as a church, I appreciate that we're in that mode. But you'll notice that every time we teach, we land in what do we do about it? How do we walk after what we've heard? And that's exactly what Paul's mind and heart is. I, I want you to know the will of God so that you can do it, so that you may live it. Essentially, I'm going to paraphrase. He says, so that we may live lives that match the goodness of God and the good work of Jesus Christ. I pray that in this space, in this local community of saints, that we relate to each other according to the will of God, that the life we experience together is a life that reflects the goodness of God and the fruit of the work of Jesus Christ. One of the places where I regularly see us not stepping into the fullness of what God has given to us is in this area of forgiveness. And that seems like ironic. I mean, that's, we, we take communion every week and we know all about the cross and the death of Jesus. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. But I watch myself and I watch others and I counsel with people and I realize we still haven't fully grasped the the vastness and the thoroughness of the work of Jesus Christ. We still live in shame. We still live in anger. We still live in judgment of others. And Jesus takes all of those things away. He offers to take them away. That song that we opened with, to me, is just becoming such a powerful reminder. Your forgiveness is so good. Your forgiveness makes me want to change. This morning, I had such a great experience. I woke up <clears throat> a little bit off. And I just began to pray, God, what's, what's going on? And, he, and the Spirit took me through this last week. And I just realized I had slowly accumulated some thoughts and some judgments about myself and others. I had had some kind of selfish and even sinful thoughts towards some other people. And I, I just prayed. And I just confessed those. And I said, God, yeah, I don't want that here. And I know you don't want that here. Forgive me. Take it away. And he did. And I began to think of those people that I had, had, had kind of sinned against in my own mind. And these fresh thoughts of love and goodness just replaced the thoughts that I had been having. And it was so good. It was amazing. And that's what we've been invited into, not just on a random Sunday when it finally gets too heavy, but daily life. This is the will of God that the burden of forgiveness and the cancer of sin be taken out. And that's our prayer for this community and for your households and for your relationships that you more and more would experience the forgiveness of God in every aspect of life and be able to just kind of hit that spiritual reset button all day long. I've said this before. I used to play video games with my sons all the time and I love that silly reset button because no matter how poorly I played, I got to start over with all the lives I needed and, got, and I got better and I got better and better and better. In fact, if you ever want to play Mario Kart, I'd love to crush you. So just let me know. <laughs> hours and hours and hours of resetting Mario Kart and I, I own every record on my Mario Kart game. 
how much more amazing is this reality that with Jesus, we just keep confessing and being forgiven. Reset, reset, reset. This day starts over. The brokenness of yesterday is gone. Now, maybe, I don't want to overlook the fact that though we reconcile with God, sometimes we need to reconcile with others. And so simply asking God to forgive us, that's most of it. But we may need to ask others to forgive us as well. And we may need to go make things right. But again, Jesus did the work so that that's possible. There's just no reason for any human to live in shame and in anger and in bitterness. Jesus has set us free from all of that. All right, let's get to the end of this passage. Let me read the first part of verse 10. So that, everything I've just said, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Now, I want to read this passage again, and I want to emphasize three words, and I'll just say them loud. So here we go. Before I do, though, I want to say this to you. I was listening to a podcast probably a month ago, and um, someone asked this, it was uh, Ronald Rollheiser, Catholic father, brilliant man of God. And they were asking him whether something was a sin or not. And he, he answered the question, but he said, let me ask you this, at what level do you want to live? At what level do you want to live? See, the question about the sin was kind of this idea that is this right or wrong because I kind of I want to do it. But if it's wrong, I know I shouldn't do it. And, and the person who was asking was really asking the question of someone who wants to live at a pretty low level of Christ-likeness, kind of on the edge, right? Like, am I in or am I out when I do this thing? And, and he said this very lovingly and very encouragingly, but it just rang in my ears, and it has been ever since then. At what level do you want to live? <clears throat> Think that of yourself. Jesus Christ has done all the work of bringing peace to every relationship. Jesus Christ has taken care of every sin that has been and will be committed if we exercise what he's done. At what level do you want to live? Do you want to live at a level of minuteness and mediocrity? Or do you want to live at a level of fullness and completeness in Christ? I say that all because I want you to listen to this last phrase. Paul says, walk in a manner worthy so that you may fully please him. Catch these words. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God and his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him. Are you hearing that? Filled, all, fully. At what level do you want to live? How many days do you want to live in the shalom of God at peace with the people in your relationships, whether it's my household or my community or my nation? At what level do you want to live? We pray together for one another, that we here at Colossae Sherwood might live at the highest level that we can, filled with the knowledge of God's will, his goodness, so that we may walk doing everything he calls us to do, so that we may fully please him. The verse doesn't end here. It goes on to talk more about the outcomes of this, but then I'm going to start stealing the teaching from next week, so I'm going to stop here. But I think what we have is enough. I think what we have is encouraging and so I want to take it all, and I want to move us to the table. 
to share in communion.